you're standing at home, you can be seated. <laughs> uh, this is, I tell you what, uh, I, I don't know how many people at home are going to have church, but I had church today right over here. Uh, just being able to gather together to, to hear songs to and about Jesus and to be able to sing to and about Him. It's just, uh, there's something special about that time. We're going to be in Acts this morning. Uh, last week we talked about the Great Commission. And so this week we're going to talk about the courage for that commission. We were talking about last week being committed to the commission. And now we're talking about the courage for that commission. Our commission does not change based on uh, any kind of worldly changes that we may experience. So we, we have a uh, social distancing that we're trying to do today to try to, to flatten the curve, to try to limit the spread of the coronavirus. But that doesn't change our commission, church. We still have a great commission uh, a great God through a great Savior has given us a great commission that we're supposed to take the gospel as it is to people as they are, wherever they are, and whatever situations we find ourselves in. Uh, the book of Acts was written somewhere around the early 60s A.D., and it records the path that the early church was supposed to follow from this point to the end. There's about a 30-year span of time that it covers, and, and it picks up right at the resurrection, uh, right after the resurrection, and it, and it carries over that kind of that first 30 years of the early church. It's actually a two-volume work written by Luke. Uh, you can think about it like this, that Luke was volume one and Acts was volume two of this, of this piece that, that Luke put together through the inspira inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're a new believer, if you're uh, maybe a, a young believer or somebody who's still trying to figure it all out, I would encourage you to go to the Gospel of John and start there. If you've never read the Bible, if you've never read any of the scriptures, I would encourage you to go to the book of John and read that. John talks about that the reason he wrote the book was so that you would believe in, in Jesus as Messiah. And he talks about all the miraculous things that Jesus did. You have the I Am statements where Jesus is, is making himself equal with God. You have a lot of the miracles that Jesus performed. And then I would go from John to Luke. Uh, Luke is a, a man of humble estate, and so he writes from the more humble side of things. He's looking at the ladies in, that served. He's looking at the poor at the downtrodden, and then he continues his work. Luke comes from, from the book of Luke into Acts, and if you read those together, you really get a good picture of what it looked like to get momentum out of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus into the New Testament church. Uh, the evangelism that we're called to do, we're going to read that in just a minute, but, but there are three, three areas that he tells us to work on. He says Jerusalem, and you can find that in the first seven chapters of Acts, and then Judea and Samaria, You'll find that. It's really weird when nobody's here and stuff's falling behind me. I feel like we're, we're, I'm, I'm dodging bullets up here. Uh, the second one is Judea and Samaria, and that's in Acts 8 through Acts 12. And then the last one is the ends of the earth, and that's Acts 13 through 28. Sometimes you'll hear Acts referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but A.T. Pearson rightly called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Church, it really wasn't important the men who were involved. We, we like to elevate Paul, we like to elevate Peter, we like to elevate James, we like to elevate, you know, Billy Graham. And, and no offense to any of those godly men, but the acts would never have been accomplished without the Holy Spirit's power. And so, so these men were just uh, conduits through which the Holy Spirit flowed. So before we, before we read this morning, I want to ask you this question. If your book were written about you, if there were a book written about you and your following of Christ, would it be called the acts of you? Or would it be called the acts of him? My prayer is today that by the time we get done at least that you know that it's the acts of him and not the acts of you. 
So I'm going to do this weird thing. I know we've got like 20 people here. I don't know how many people are watching at home. I will say this. Uh, we're having some technical issues. I know that, that are kind of coming and going. Bear with us. We've got bandwidth problems. A lot of different churches are trying to use the same little narrow highway of bandwidth. So if you're at home and you're experiencing some problems, bear with us while we work them out. Let it, let it kind of work itself out. Or if it just gets to be too much, again, we're going to be able to post the video afterwards that's going to be a lot cleaner uh, as far as the, the glitchy stuff that maybe you're experiencing. But I'm going to ask you, if you're at home or here, if you would stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I know that's weird for you to stand in your, in your fuzzy slippers and PJs at your house. Uh, but still, I think we need to honor the reading of God's Word. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read in Acts 1, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. And again, this is Luke writing to his friend Theophilus. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Pause right there. This is, this is an insight into the mind and the heart of the men who were the closest to Jesus on this earth. They still had the wrong motives, and they asked the wrong question. They were still thinking about things from a very lowercase k kingdom point of view. Are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to put us back in charge? you get us out from under this Roman oppression? Are you going to put us back where we want to be? And that's not the point of the gospel. That's not the point of the resurrection. That's not the point of the Holy Spirit. But even these men closest to him didn't really fully comprehend that at this time. Verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Remember, we talked about authority last week. That authority is important. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in, up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Father God, I beg you to speak this morning across these social media platforms and in this building through your servant. Let it be your words and not mine, and we'll give you the praise, not me. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about four things. I want to talk about the proof, the promise, the power, and the purpose. The first thing we're going to talk about is the proof. If you'll look at verse 1 there, it says uh, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus began his earthly ministry at about 30 years old. You can find that in Luke 3, 23. He started his ministry, and all his ministry was about was establishing himself as the Messiah, working miracles and, and signs and wonders to, to make people aware of that fact, and then getting glory to the Father through his sacrificial death, through his burial into a borrowed tomb, and his resurrection on the third day. And then you see that but there are basically two types of proof. There's the before his death proof, which is what we're talking about here. The water into wine, the, the uh, silencing of the storm, uh, 
the casting out demons, the healings, all the stuff that Jesus did, that was before his death. And then you see the after the resurrection proof. Look at verse 3. It says, he also pre presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. That word them is interesting. Who, who are them? Do y'all ever notice that you have all these people that, you know, I, I want to find they. I'd like to someday before I die, I would like to find they. And to be honest, I, I, used to, I was raised Pentecostal. I remember how to lay hands on people. I would like to lay hands on they because they are always saying something that's negative. You ever notice that? They never said something positive. They always said it was going to fail. They always said it was going to be worse than what you thought. They always said that you're doing a bad job. They always said that you can't be enough. They always said that you can't live that life. You can't achieve that goal. They are very restrictive. But them in here is a little bit different. I think that we see it documented best in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul records this letter. He's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And he records these things. In verse 5, uh, Jesus has revealed himself to Peter. Also in verse 5, he reveal, reveals himself to the 12. And then in verse 6, he actually revealed himself to 500 people at once. Those 500 people are more people that saw the risen Jesus than are, than are actually documented to have seen Alexander the Great. So if you're doubting the resurrection, if you're doubting the Jesus who rose from the dead, realize there are more documented individuals who saw him alive than who saw Alexander the Great. Then in verse 7, he revealed himself to James, and then the apostles, and then in verse 8, he actually revealed himself to Paul personally on the road to Damascus. So these are the them. The them is Peter, the twelve, five hundred, James, all the apostles, and to Paul. I, I want to just give you this this morning. There's no way that when, when Paul wrote his letter to Corinth, if he was lying about this, there's no way he would have included 500 witnesses. I want you to hear that. If you're a skeptic out there today, there's no possible way that Paul could have written that letter to the church at Corinth in the time period in which he wrote it. Many of these 500, he even says it, are still alive. So basically, Paul is saying, y'all know where he was. You know about how many people were down there, about 500. Go find one of them. Some of them are still alive, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. That's, that's the redneck version of what Paul said. Hey, if I'm lying, I'm dying. There's 500 people that he appeared to. So the question I have for you now is this. Where is the proof of Jesus being found alive in your life? Where is the proof of Jesus being alive found in your life? So that first thing is the proof. The second thing is the promise. Look at verse 4. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This would be a really challenging thing to tell them, wait in Jerusalem, because the persecution was being ramped up. And so it was not an easy thing to wait in Jerusalem. That was, you know, it's like waiting in Baghdad. If you're an American soldier and you're sitting in a building in Baghdad, and the general says, hey, just wait there. <laughs> Except they didn't have any arms. They didn't have any way to defend themselves. Wait there until the Father's promise comes. Joel 2.28. We're going to go to the Old Testament for a couple verses here. Joel 2.28 said, After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. This is the Father's promise. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. There's so much here that I could really kind of unpack, but we don't have time. But let me just suffice it to say this. In verse 26, he says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. If you're sitting here today 
any, any, anywhere under the sound of my voice, and you have a hard heart about the things of God, you need to check your heart. Because that hard heart is not what God put in you. He put a heart of flesh in you if you're saved. And then he says, I will place my spirit within you. Some of you have probably seen the movie Alien. Uh, there's, there's a real creepy scene where this guy has, has gotten, I forgot, it was bit or scratched or something. He's laying there. It's a cyborg kind of thing. And, and this thing pops out of him and runs off. It's really a grotesque scene. Uh, we were at the house a few, few months ago, and Tyler and some of his buddies, Connor, and, and some of those guys were watching it. And they were just sort of laughing at it because the, the special effects from, from where they are to back then was kind of weird. But when I was a stupid little kid watching that, I was like, <gasps> I mean, it freaked me out. I'm like, ooh. I started worrying. You know, my mom always told me if you swallowed a watermelon seed, you'd have watermelons grow in your stomach. They also said if you ever swallowed your gum, it'd take seven years to, to get rid of it. I don't know. I, but it scared me to death as a little kid. I saw that thing pop out, and I thought, I wonder if a watermelon would do that. What if I swallow an apple seed? Would an apple tree pop out of me like that? But here's what I picture. If you say you're saved and you're living in such filth and sin, you think the Holy Spirit is living in you, he might pop out. You can't, I, I, this is how I know that I was lost. I made a profession of faith as a young child, but I know that I was lost because of the way that I lived from about 15 until about 25. It was about a ten, the decade of decadence, you call it. I, I lived like hell for those 10 years. I did not have the Holy Spirit living in me, or he would have busted out and run. That's how I know the Spirit wasn't living in me, and that's how I think we can know that we have the Spirit in us or not in us, because he says, I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Listen to me. Everybody listen. If you, if you don't have any problem sinning, you've got a heart problem. I would, I would be really careful about thinking I was saved if I had no conviction over blatant sin in my life. We've, I've told the worship team here for almost six years as the worship pastor. And, and let me just pause and say this. What a great job Grayson did his first week here, his first Sunday leading us in worship. This is, this is kooky. This is strange. And he's done a great job. Hayden and, and Grayson and Daryl worked tirelessly this week to try to get our, our new camera installed I know we're having problems, but it's not their fault. It's, it's the other things. But, but, but think about this. All these times that I've told them, the, the primary requirement to be a worship team member, and I know all of them right now are thinking it, there are two things, clean hands and a pure heart. If you've got clean hands, that means you have no sin that you know of, that you're living with, that you're holding on to. No self, no pride, no sin that you're holding on to. And a pure heart means that in as much as it is up to you, you are living at peace with others. It, it, all, of your, all of your sins, anything that you have failed in that week, you have repented of. That's the requirement. And this is the same thing. If you have clean hands and a pure heart, you will follow his statutes and carefully observe his ordinances. In other words, you will obey the Father. John puts it this way. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Now we're back in the New Testament. This is the, the Apostle John, John 14, verses 16 and 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There's your litmus test. I wonder if I'm saved. If you're wondering if you're saved today, are you following the commands of Christ? Are you living in obedience to the commandments of Jesus? Because if you are not, you need to check yourself. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, another counselor. That means one like the one he already had given, which was Jesus in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's going to give us another counselor, and actually a better counselor, because where Jesus was limited to one physical body, the Holy Spirit is not limited that way. Every believer is filled with the Spirit, and we can continually be filled with the Spirit because we leak, amen? And then we can continually have that power. 
He says, I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Think about the, the great, excuse me, the great commission. <clears throat> the great commission, the end of it, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He tells them this same thing here in John 14, 17. So he says, you wait for the Father's promise, and he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In the Baptist church, in the Pentecostal church where I was raised, we had a very deep appreciation and paid very close attention to the Holy Spirit. I would challenge you as Baptists this morning, don't let that become something we fail to do. Just because we don't believe we speak in tongues today, and by the way, I don't. I believe that God can still use tongues, but I don't believe he has to because we have this. I don't need foreign tongues. I've got this book translated in multiple languages. If we're somewhere where we need to get the gospel to somebody and we can't speak their language, yes, I do believe that God could uh, empower us to speak in other tongues as he did at Pentecost, but I don't think that's the norm. I do believe, though, that, that, that we need to give better attention and, and heed closer to what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. We've got to know that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, is living in us, is directing us. Not that we can do anything like you know, speak in tongues or raise the dead or, or cast out demons, but so we can live this life. Guys, if, we, if you watch the news and you can get out of bed in the morning, that takes the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that trouble us, and the Holy Spirit is there to comfort and guide and direct. So we have that down payment as a, of our inheritance as the Holy Spirit. So the proof, the promise, and now the power. And under the power, I'm going to talk about three things, the what, the when, and the why. The first thing we want to talk about is the what. In verse 8, the first part, he says, but you will receive power. That word power is dunamis. It means miraculous power. It's where we get the word dynamite. At the moment of salvation, we are filled with this dynamic power, this miraculous power, this dunamis. Once filled with the Spirit, he is our onboard GPS system. He gets us from where we are to where God wants us to be. Now, there's two things that we have, the two choices that we have when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Number one, either we sin, which is offending the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve or sadden or offend God's Holy Spirit. So that's our first choice. We can sin by grieving or, or not heeding the Holy Spirit. Or we can surrender. So every one of us has an option. We're either going to sin or surrender. We surrender to him. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled. And that also, that word filled there means continuously controlled by the Holy Spirit. We, we are to be filled with the Spirit. If we are filled with the Spirit, we're going to operate as the Spirit wants us to operate. We're going to move. We're going to speak. We're going to think. We're going to live. We're going to believe with faith, with ultimate confidence, because we know that the Holy Spirit is giving us the power we need, giving us the hope that we need. Romans 8, 9 says it this way, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I, I, feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm 
screaming that the building's on fire. I'm not. I just want you to hear me. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to convince you you're not saved, but I'm trying to get you to challenge your belief system. Challenge your, don't, don't let it be an easy believism. I, well, I went down front and shook the preacher's hand. All right, good. Well, I go to church every Sunday. Hey, y'all, the, these, uh, these altars are here every Sunday. They're not going to be in heaven. Only those who are filled and controlled by the Spirit of God belong to Him. So that's the what. Now, the when is the second part of verse 8. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, it was a long time after their salvation before these in the upper room at Pentecost were filled, but we are filled at salvation. When we come to Christ, the Bible says once we come to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, and we are filled. They seem to surrender to Him immediately. Can the same be said for us? The reason you have the, the Pentecost situation, the Pentecost event, where, they, where Peter preached this, this fantastic sermon and, and they were speaking in other languages and, and over 3,000 people came to Christ is because they surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Peter's message. It wasn't, they didn't have a fog machine or lights or, or uh, a band or anything else. It's just Peter standing there preaching the gospel. But the power of the Holy Spirit moved and over 3,000 people came to Christ. Y'all listen to me. The, the problem today is not the power. It's our presentation. We have got to surrender to the Holy Spirit and present the gospel just as it is. Uh, don't, don't try to defend it. Let it defend itself. Just present it. And the last thing is the why. In the last part of verse 8, he says, this is a great statement, y'all. You will be my witnesses. I love the, I love the possessive pronoun there. We are, we, when Jesus is talking to us, he says, you are my witnesses. That word witness it can also be translated uh, in a different way, but it, it means to bear witness to the truth as it is in Jesus. The word is martus, and we get the word martyr from that. We get That's a derivation. We are called to be witnesses of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, even if it costs us ours. He is the way, the truth, the life, and we've got to stand on that to the point that we, we would give up our life before we would compromise it. Can I tell you another proof that the gospel is real? You cannot find me 11 men who would be tortured and die for a lie. Can't do it. They had no gain. All they had to do was say, you're right. We, we broke into the tomb. We stole the body. We hid it. The, all they had to do was say, you're right. We, the, Jesus was fake. He was a phony. We, 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 we recant. I take back everything that I said. He was, he was not real. They didn't. These 11 men gave up their lives for the sake of the gospel. It, it could only happen if it was true. You, you cannot find me 11 people in your life right now that would be tortured by the government and murdered to, to, to support some lie that you wanted them to tell. It's not going to happen. This was why we know because they were bearing witness. They were martyring themselves. Every Christian is not called to be a martyr, but every Christian should be prepared to be a martyr. I believe in my Jesus with everything that's in me, and there's nothing that anybody could do to make me go back on that. There's nothing anybody could do to make me call my Savior a liar. The problem is, I think, that we don't want Jesus to cost us a friend, a social media follower, a job, etc., but our lives are worthless unless they honor Him. 
In Acts 2, we see the Spirit causing people to speak in tongues to communicate God's truth to the crowd in all of their native languages. Some denominations claim that speaking in truth, speaking in tongues is actually the proof of one's salvation, but tongues were only necessary before we had the Word of God compiled for us. Tongues are not necessary when you have the Bible. And I don't mean any offense to anybody who believes differently. That's just my conviction. I believe God can still use someone, like I said, to speak in tongues, but it's not the norm. If we don't speak up for Jesus in our own language, why do you think God would give us another one? I'm frustrated sometimes because I see people that go on mission trips all over the country, all over the world, but they never tell their neighbor. Can I just, can I just be honest with you for a minute? If you're not willing to tell your family member that they're lost and they need Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6, if you're not willing to go to your neighbor to your uh, bowling league, to your softball league, if you're not willing to sacrifice everything to get the gospel to those closest to you, why should you go in a plane and fly to some foreign country to supposedly do it there? And, and you, uh, everybody knows I love foreign missions. I think that's a critical part of the church. But you've got to be able to share the gospel with your neighbor before you fly off somewhere to share it with somebody else. And, and speaking of uh, speaking in tongues, I, I heard a story one time about a, a church that called this young pastor, uh, not young, but you know we'll say young because the older I get, the younger everybody else seems to be. But he, he came to this church and he preached his his call his uh, in view of a call sermon was like five minutes long. Well, y'all know what happened? They had an emergency meeting and they called him right then. They say, hey, don't let this guy get out of town. We got to get him. We got to call him now. All right. So the following week he came and he preached for about twenty minutes. And they were all kind of, you know, wait, now wait. Then the next week he preached for about 20 minutes. The next week he preached for 30 minutes. The next week he preached for an hour and they had an emergency meeting. They said, time out, stop. We called you on a five-minute sermon and then you preached for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and now an hour. He said, I'm sorry, guys, I can, I can explain it all to you. That first Sunday that I preached, my mouth was hurting so bad because I was about to have dentures. I had a lot of problems in my mouth, and, and so I could, I could, that's all I could do was preach for five minutes, and then I had, to, I, had to get, I had to stop. Well, then the following week, I was kind of getting used to my dentures, and so about 20 minutes was a struggle. You know, the next week, about 20 minutes, I'm still trying to get used to it. Within 30 minutes, that's about what I usually preach. And they said, well, that's all well and good, but what about the 60 minutes? He said, well, I got up late, and in my rush to get to the church, I grabbed my wife's dentures by mistake. Now, see, I would only use that joke today because there's not a lot of women here. If it was a big crowd, I probably would have passed on that. All right, so we've talked about the three of the things. We're going to talk about the fourth thing. We've talked about the proof. We've talked about the promise. We've talked about the power. And now let's talk about the purpose. Because, listen, power without purpose is wasted power. Uh, when I worked at the nuclear plant at Farley, we, we, there's a, by the way, that's, that is an excellent group of professional people that do a great job of, of what they do. They are uh, putting out power every day so that we can have electricity in our homes. But if all they did was produce power and nobody ever plugged anything in or turned anything on, it'd be a waste of time. So what, what is our purpose? With the proof, the promise, and the power, what is our purpose? Look, look at verse 8, the last part. He said, you'll be my witnesses, my witnesses, the ones to bear, bear witness about me up to and including your death. Why? Because I want you to go to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen to me. The purpose 
of the Spirit isn't just to help us live for Jesus, it's to push us to die for Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of the Spirit isn't just to help us live for Jesus, it's to push us to die for Jesus. We die to self, we die to sin, we die to sorrow, etc. And as he calls us out of our old life and into our new life with him, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, we more and more get to that point where our life is not meaningful unless it's being lived for him. The death of our old self that baptism represents is not the problem. The death of our old selves that baptism represents is not the problem. It's our tendency to pull that old body out of the water and try to give it CPR. That's the problem. We are constantly battling as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're constantly battling the flesh. The flesh tells us to go get that body out of the water and start pumping and staying alive and and breathing back into it because we want that old self to live. We want to surrender to the old self, not to the Spirit. But the the, the Holy Spirit tells us we've we've got to let the old self die. Luke 9.23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That means don't go back in the pool and pull that body out. That means turn your back on it and follow me. Christ. We must be on mission at home, around us, and wherever God sends us because our only mission is the Great Commission. And the only way to complete that mission is to make disciples. And I'll say it again, you're not making disciples until you're making disciples who make disciples. You've got to tell people when you when you share the gospel with them, that starts a journey of faith. That's not a destination. Faith is not a destination. Faith, coming to faith in Christ, being filled with the Spirit is the beginning of the mission. We, we, we falsely tell people that you just come to Jesus and all your problems go away. No, you come to Jesus and you get your tail to work. He's called us to serve. He's called us to go. We have to be ready and willing to surrender to the Spirit so we can go and follow Him and take the gospel to other people. And then look at verse 11. This is a strange thing we see. So obviously, I think all of us would agree that if we were here at this time, we would be doing the same thing the disciples were. Has anybody here, anybody at home, have you ever seen anybody be levitated up into the clouds out of your sight? I'm going to assume that nobody, I can't see you on Facebook or YouTube, but I'm going to assume nobody raised their hand. No, you haven't. So what would you do if you saw it? You would do that. Don't don't be harsh on the disciples because they stood there and looked up. That would be the natural response of any sane person. We're standing here, he's talking to us, and all of a sudden he starts to float. And we just watch him. We stand there watching. He goes out of sight. And some people have said, postulated that they were standing there thinking he was going to come back immediately. I don't know. I think they were just dumbfounded by what they had just seen. I would have been. I would have been standing there going, what in the world just happened? Actually, it better be what out of the world just happened because anyway... Um, he went away. But, but look at what it says. The, the, the angels came down, standing next to him, and they said this question. Why do you stand looking up into heaven? Church, that's a good question for us today. If, if you have somebody that works for you and you tell them to go do something, they just stand there staring at you. Go. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, go, go, go mop the bathroom. Or maybe they stand there staring at the mop in the mop bucket like a calf looking at a new gate. You, you wouldn't let them stand. You'd, you'd do the same. Hey, why are you standing here looking at the Go. Go do what I told you to do. Church, we have a mission. We shouldn't stand looking, wondering when he's coming back. We should be looking to see what we need to do, not looking where he went or when he's coming. Our purpose is not to wait and to watch. It's to go and to tell. 
That's the purpose that the church has left here for. You didn't get saved to go to heaven. Getting, going to heaven is the end result of you being saved. But your salvation happened so you can get other people to go to heaven. Your salvation happened so you can make disciples of all nations. That, that's why you are saved. So many people have spent so much of their lives trying to figure out when Jesus will come again. That's not our purpose. We got people trying to figure out number systems. Well, you know, if you look at Revelation, it's chapter 6 and verse 7. That's 13. Then if you go to Revelation 13 and you look at verse 12 and listen, time out. That's, that's a waste of effort. It's a waste of time. Jesus says clearly, no one knows. When he was on earth, Jesus said, I don't even know. So why, are we, why do we think we can figure it out? No man knows the day nor the hour. So here's what I do. Every time I see somebody, some slick televangelist or some kooky YouTube guy come up and say, I have figured it out. Jesus is coming back on 9-9-29 or whatever. I go, well, that, he ain't coming back that day. Because the Bible says nobody knows. So if you think you figured it out, guess what you've just done? Wasted a lot of time. If you've written a book about it, you wasted a bunch of ink. If you've recorded a bunch of YouTube videos about it, you've wasted a bunch of uh, internet speed. We don't know. And listen to me. Hear me. We don't need to know. He's going to take care of that. This is, this is one of those like, uh, like job duty things. Like, I'm going to do what's my job, and I'm going to let him do what his job. I tell people this all the time. I've got a filing system because I'm, I'm kind of OCD. Most of y'all don't know that but uh, I'm a little OCD, and so I kind of think about things in my brain as a filing system. The older I get, the more the drawer gets stuck, and the harder it is to find the tabs on the little folders, but I do have a filing system, and one of the biggest files in my filing system, I call it God's business, and here's what I do. I get presented a question or a problem or, or, or just some situation. I go, man, I don't understand that, and, and, and by the way, it's not that hard to do because I ain't that bright. But, but I, I, if I don't understand it, I'll, I'll ponder on it. I'll study scripture a little bit. And if I can't come to an answer, here's what I do. I pick it up, and I open my little drawer, and I put it into the God's business category. And then I don't worry about it. Hey, Brother Kevin, when's Jesus come back? It's in the file, brother. I don't know. He's coming back exactly when God tells him to. Not a moment less. Not a second earlier, not a second after. Well, well what are you going to do to then? I'm going to make disciples. Well, what, if, what if you get real sick, and, and you, I'm going to make disciples from a hospital bed? Y'all may see some of the ugliest live videos you've ever seen. Because if I'm laying in a hospital bed and I've got tubes sticking out of me and, and IVs and all that stuff, I'm going to be trying to get the gospel out till I die. If, I, if he comes before I die, I want him to find me busy. I want him to find me about the Father's business. Rapture is not a problem to solve. It's a promise to secure. So here's, here's the, the close today. We've talked about the, the proof, the promise, the power and the purpose. I'm going to ask you a few questions. We'll talk just for a second, and then we're going to be done. Every time I write a sermon, every time I, I try to think through what I'm going to say, here, here's the final question I always come to. What are you going to do with Jesus today? He, he's, he's, he's a being that demands a response from you. you. You can't set him aside and not worry about him. You have to deal with him. Are you going to call him a charlatan? Are you going to say he was a phony? Are you going to say he didn't exist? I've already given you just two or three things already today, just uh, anecdotally, parenthetically to what I'm talking about, that, that really, to me, leave no doubt that he was a real person. And if he was a real person, he was the Son of God. If he was a real person, if he existed, and he did, 
No, no archaeologist, no historian worth their salt would discount the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. If he existed, he was the Messiah. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said he was either a liar or a lunatic for the Lord. He's one of those three things. If he was a liar or a lunatic, those 11 men would not have given their lives for him. Those countless believers since then would not have given their lives for him. He's real, so what are you going to do with him today? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would beg you to surrender to him and surrender to his Holy Spirit. You can just say, God, I'm a sinner. And by the way, that makes you equal with everybody else watching this, including me up here on this stage. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the payment that we deserve for that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you don't know him today, you can. And you say, well, I'm not at the church. I can't come forward. That's all right. Uh, God's not going to send you to hell because you couldn't get here live. You can, you can repent of your sins and turn to Christ right there where you are. If you want to publicly profess Christ today, type it in the comments. Uh, post something on your Facebook. Send us a Facebook message. My e email address is easy to find. It's kevin at wemochurch.org. You can send me an email and I'll have a conversation with you. But you can make it public today. You can repent of your sins and turn to Christ right there where you are. You, you can do it in your living room or your bedroom. You don't have to do it in a church. You can come to Christ today. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, what does the Spirit want you to do that you've been fighting against? Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something and you just, you've just, you just won't do it. You give it the Baptist no. Let me pray about it. I would encourage you today that if you've never surrendered to Christ, that today would be the day you do that. If you've surrendered to Christ and you're holding back something, today would be the day that you let it go. The, the, some of our band is going to come up here and they're going to sing to me a very appropriate song for the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, but it's not just, he's not just the healer from a virus. He's not just the healer from a pandemic. He is the healer of the soul. You were born with a terminal condition. It's called life. And Jesus brings eternal life that will cure that terminal condition. If you've never trusted him, I beg you to do that today. If you have trusted him, I pray that you would more fully surrender now than ever before. As they sing, I pray that you would just take this time to pray and ask God what he would have you to do with this message asking what he would have you to do with Jesus. We're going to take just a brief invitation time, and then we've got just a little bit of business to take care of, and we're going to close today. You make a decision. Don't wait. Make that decision today. Post it on your Facebook. Put it in the comments. Tell somebody how Jesus has changed your life and how you've surrendered to him. trust in you I trust in you let's sing that today I believe 
true today for you can you honestly say that to Jesus is all you need uh, I'm going to ask Neil and Julie McKeever to come up <clears throat> uh, we had to make a special allowance today because we've got a very limited number we're supposed to have and we're under that by the way and we're keeping social distancing so come on over Neil I'm going to back away but uh, Neil and Julie have been attending with us and been visiting and uh, Julie talked to me last week and said that they had been talking and they finally felt like God is, is kind of leading them to join our church and so then we canceled service and so they were like well what do we do do we wait until we get back or do we do some kind of administrative thing and I said listen I think if you feel like God's leading you to join this body of believers we want to make that public and so that's what they're here to do and so our limited attendance was that how does that make you feel those of you at home that are members I'm sure you're clapping as well but that's our way of welcoming you into our church putting our arms around you and, and welcoming you in. So we are excited to have them as, as new members of Westmobile Baptist Church. One last little piece of business. Y'all can have a seat. We got, could we stay our, our six feet? I'm going to stay six feet from this guy for sure anyway. But uh, Grayson Holt, we've called Grayson as our new worship pastor uh, part-time as he finishes school. And uh, Grayson has done a great job this week. Like I said, he's worked hard. But he had, uh, he had actually moved his letter to Hollinger's Island Baptist Church when he was serving there. And so Grayson is coming today asking to move his letter back to his home church of Westmobile Baptist Church. So how does that make you feel, church? We need somebody to do the math. We had three new members out of, what, 24 attendees? That's a good percentage, man. We're rocking. So listen, thank you so much for joining us. I pray that you have been blessed. We have been blessed. I've been blessed. Anybody else here? Uh, I've been blessed to be able to be here today to... to, to worship and to serve uh, to, to the, the Bible always is as sharp as a double-edged sword every time I pick it up to try to cut somebody else it cuts me first uh, it's cut me all week when I've been dealing with this message so my prayer is that in a good way it has been cutting to you to point out things in your life that you need to deal with again if you need to know Christ you can reach out to us we would be glad to walk you through that if you know Christ you'd like to move your letter here we'd love to do that once everything returns to normal but I just challenge you today uh, don't wait until you can come to church to be the church. God has not changed your calling because of a quarantine or because of a pandemic. Make disciples. Get the gospel out. Do that digitally. Do that in any way you can, but make disciples. Uh, thank you for being patient with us today as we've kind of worked through some of these uh, problems that the Internet has provided for us, uh, the, the limited bandwidth and all those kind of things. Uh, again, I pray that you are blessed. Let me pray, and then we're going to close. God, uh, I ask you to use... the. You've, you've spoken through a donkey before, and I pray that today was another ch a chance for you to do that. I pray that my words would fall, but your words would stick, and that we would know what you want us to do with these scriptures, and we would live them out. 
in a way that honors you. God, I pray for all of our senior adults who are uh, those that are uh, immunocompromised, who have pulmonary issues. I pray for all the ones who are more susceptible to this virus. And God, I pray for all those who have it. I pray that you administer them. God, it be my prayer that you would stop this thing in its tracks. But you are sovereign and we trust you. So God, whatever you want to do through this pandemic, I pray you would do it for the glory of King Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Good job, team.